a smaller one somewhere. I don't know where. I saw it the other day and I thought, huh, there's another truck. And it just went out of my head. So <laughs> Funny how that happens. Well, welcome to Hip and Humble. I'm Aram. And I'm Mom. <laughs> we talk about all things antique and collectibles. And I, and we are supported by Hip and Humble Antiques, LLC. We've got two locations, one in Bethany, Oklahoma, just outside of Oklahoma City at the Rink Gallery, and another one in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia at Oldies But Goodies. And for those of you not all about driving, we also have an online store on Etsy, Hip and Humble Antiques on Etsy. Please check us out there. If we don't have something at the moment that you like, I promise we will soon. Yes, we will. All right. And we are also supported by the WGSN-DB Going Solo Network. It is a national online radio network, and there are amazing content and amazing creators on there. Please check out all of the other shows if you have not. All right. We have a fun topic today. We do. One of my favorite topics. It is It is pretty cool. You know... Uh, for all that we do, I, uh, I pick things up and I put things down a lot, put things down a lot in the antiques business. Moving things from one place to another is the majority of the physical work associated with this trade. That's true. I, I'm not the first and most certainly will not be the last person to seek a container of some kind that is helpful in the transportation of things from one place to another. Yes. Humans have needed a way to move things from one place to another since the conception of our race. Our subject today begins like so many others in the East. <laughs> the, the, cracks me up. You know, it's funny because in the last episode, even we were just talking about how this, how, uh, how lighters themselves, uh, lighters were our last episode. We were just talking about how that was one of the very few things that was not invented in China. And a lot of it, That's I feel true. like, has to do with their, the way that they system. educate people. Absolutely. See how lighters bled into education. Let me tell you. Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it interesting? It's, it's like it lights up your life. <laughs> and if you want to see that, check out last <laughs> week's episode. <laughs> Though, the particular modern style that we mostly see today is originated from the late 18th to the 20th century. And we are talking about, let's see, hunters and gatherers were constrained as, in, as to what that they could move from place to place by what they could carry. But as necessity breeds intervention, trunks, innovation, whatever, <laughs> trunks, cases, boxes, and the like, these delightful, sometimes incredibly ornate pieces have many names. They all serve a similar purpose. Louis Vuitton got its start in manufacturing trunks, and the market it captured multiplied and innovated all the way into handbags, into the handbags that it champions today. As we said, China, of course, had many shipping containers and boxes for centuries prior to the innovators like Louis Vuitton and others created a huge market for moving things across the world. That's right. So humans left a need to be nomadic in ancient times. Obviously, in the hunter-gatherer times, people moved based on weather and also the ability to gather food and to hunt for game. But uh, in the late 18th century, locomotives and innovations in travel gave a whole new range to the possibility of travel. Because, of course, after the hunter-gatherer period in human history, humans tended to settle into a particular place and stay there as, as long as uh, 
As long as they could. As long as, as long as they could. Well, they didn't have to hunt and gather quite so much. I mean, Indian, right. the Indian, Native American Indian tribes and stuff, I think were really some of the first people that really packed it up and moved around. Yeah. Absolutely. That I know of. I'm sure there's some others, but well, those are the ones absolutely. I'm most familiar with. Absolutely. Well, there, there are the, they are definitely nomadic, but also the other continents had people that were nomadic, obviously before. Well, yeah. sure. Of course, the, of course, we looked at the Fertile Crescent and that region as the first as kind of settled region. But before right. that time, of course, people were constantly moving. And even, even around that time, that was kind of the first place where people really settled. Yeah. And moving past the ancient times, people tended to go to a place and stay there, especially whenever farming and agriculture, agriculture oh, yeah. And, yeah. and things like that were, were available to us. Sure. So, but yeah, and before this innovation and even after, for those of lesser means, traveling even more than 10 miles at a time was a feat that could take days, weeks, oh, yeah. and even months. Yeah. And, you know, even, and even after this innovation, it still took a considerable amount of time. I mean, the amount of time that it, we travel today versus the amount of time it took someone in the 1830s to get from, you know, even ac- across the Atlantic. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, Extra, it's extraordinary. <laughs> well, it really is. Yeah. I mean, you know, right now, I mean, we can go across the Atlantic, go over the pond, and, you know, be in London in, what, less than 10 hours. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you were, if you're going from the East Coast to London, it's, it's less, if you're going to New York, from New York to London, it's definitely less than 10 hours. So I don't really remember how many hours it took, but I think, for, so the we last left, time. the last time we went, we left from, we left from DC, and I think we had a layover, and then we went across. And I think the actual travel across the Atlantic only took, I want to say, eight and a half hours. Yeah. Well, we went from D.C. to London, and then we had to lay over there to catch our plane to Scotland. Oh, that's right. That's right. So. Yeah. and But from D.C. to London, I think it was ten and a half hours. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. Anyway. But definitely it was a very, very short time. It wasn't three months. To, you know. The boat. Yeah, it wasn't three months. Yeah, but after that, uh, and and also, obviously, train travel back then became really popular. And oh, yeah. After the train travel, carriages and the like became available, moving more often became feasible, and thus the necessity for trunks and other storage devices arose. I wish that train travel was more available throughout the, throughout the United States and, yeah, affordable. Well, that's, that's the biggest thing because train travel is, is beautiful. Every yeah. time being on a train is fantastic. I, it's, it's relaxing. You get to see so much of the different countryside that you never would and yeah. because train tracks tra- travel through these absolutely gorgeous places. However, it is just, you know, because it is kind of a niche thing at this point. Well, it is over here and in Europe and in, in those areas. Everybody goes by train. Yeah. You know, that's the way to travel, really. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, it's one reason I love being in Europe is I can get on a train and I can go wherever I want. Right. And here you just can't. Right. I mean, it, it, here it's more of a novelty. Now, yes. I mean, you, now the East Coast, you've got trains running in between DC and, and New York and, you know, the different towns in between all the time. Right. Well, you have train, you have trains to all the major cities, but even so, those trains, the, so their trains are so expensive. Even the bus, even bus travel between the cities is cheaper than trains a lot of yeah. the times. Well, that, yeah. You know, the Greyhound buses, the Greyhound bus tickets, you can get a bus ticket, I think, from DC to New York. And don't quote me on this, but I think for under a hundred dollars. Yeah. Usually you can. So, hey, folks that do the, you know, travel stuff, our, maybe our roads would be not quite so congested if we had more 
trains. Trains availability. That might be a thought. Just <laughs> it saying. just might be. Just saying. But yeah, with a lot of trains, because we had trains, we could travel a lot more. And you could get from one place to the other pretty quickly. I mean, you know, comparative to walking. But chests and trunks date back to at least medieval times, but really good, really gained momentum in the Victorian era, starting around the 1870s, whenever train travel became really popular. So trunks actually were generally constructed with a base trunk box made of pine, which was then covered with protective and decorative materials. Some of the earliest trunks are covered and studded, covered with studded hide or leather and look much like the furniture of the same period, which makes sense as truck, trunk manufacturing was sometimes an offshoot of a furniture business. So later coverings included paper, canvas, planar embossed tin, with an un- uncounted assortment of hardware and hardwood slats to keep it all down. They sometimes were made with a small brass handle on top and were made in many, many sizes. The use of classic trunks for luggage was widespread through the first two decades of the 20th century, but began to fade in popularity thereafter in, fa- in favor of the modern suitcase. By the end of the 1940s, their use had become rare and in modern times is almost unknown. I mean, you don't see a lot of people traveling with, with trunks anymore. No, you really don't. No. No, I don't. Although it's interesting because I realistically, I feel like having a trunk with you would be so convenient. I do. I mean, I think the only major drawback to it is its weight. That's true. But I do think, yeah, I think it would be absolutely wonderful because some of these trunks, I mean, they really have everything you need. I mean, I mean it's got, basically a wardrobe. Yeah, you've got your entire wardrobe. Some of them even came with ironing boards. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and, and like we were saying before, you know, they had they would have different slats, and so you could section out different places to put like shoes and well, you know, coats yeah. and so on and so forth, and then you'd have boxes on top for jewelry. So I mean, it was, it was really an all-in-one wardrobe yeah. that you could bring with you anywhere. And uh, as we'll find out later, you know, Louis Vuitton made the first, I guess. They innovated what you would what you would call the a treasure ch- treasure chest by by inventing the first unpickable lock. Of course, it's not unpickable by today's standards, but well, back no. then, yeah. back then it was the first unpickable yeah. lock. Well, a lot of these wardrobe wardrobes. <laughs> <laughs> well, they really are wardrobes, but a lot of these trunks they mm-hmm. do come in tons of configurations. So one of my have upstairs has drawers. There are drawers yeah. in it, and then there's a dedicated place for hanging clothes and. You know, they, they really are really pretty neat things, but yeah, I would love to have, have, be able to travel with one because it'd make it so easy. You just open it up and bam, you're right there. Oh, absolutely. So trunks and chests obviously in that time eventually became very well used household items. And at this point, we should point out the difference between a chest and a trunk, which is kind of what I was alluding to before. Yeah. While trunks were mainly used for traveling and transporting possessions from point A to point B, chests are generally considered a fixed and permanent pieces of furniture, usually used for storing things such as blankets and assorted bedding. For this reason, chests can be more ornate while trunks have more of a practical form of decoration. More functional. They're a lot more functional. Like if you'll notice a lot of the, a lot of the trunks that we're talking about, the different types of trunks that we're talking about, especially those very key in travel, they would have basically reinforcing materials around them. Like on the, on the corners, a lot of the, a lot of the trunks will have brass or different types of metal to kind of protect the corners whenever, or for whenever they were being moved around and stored. 
So like many things in the Victorian period, trunks started out with a pretty simplistic design and grew to be much more intricately designed. Initially composed just as a lockable wooden box with paper-lined interior, trunks soon became covered in leather, paper, canvas, and some other form of metal hardware, you know, embossed tin, things like that. And they came out to have different compartments, drawers, trays, and hangers that made them all the more functional. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I love them. Oh, no. Trunks are fantastic. They're fantastic. And honest, honestly, th- after talking about it now, the next time I do travel, if, I, if I'm if i going to a hotel or something, I really feel like I might just use a trunk. Well, you know what? I I did buy at an antique, play, an antique shop not too long ago is I bought a train case. Really? I did. I bought a train case. And they do still make train cases. But I was like, I am so tired of all of these um, like they have a little makeup pouches and the little separate ones for your, you know, shampoo and soaps right. and all that kind of stuff. And it's like in 50 different little bags. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, this is ridiculous. So I was like, <laughs> you know, I have this train case. I'll show it to you. It's upstairs. Yeah. And it's just this little box. Yeah. And you open it up and there's a little tray on the top that huh. I keep whatever I immediately need underneath of it. Underneath of it. I feel like I have storage for miles really because is it I, that little red case yeah oh, okay i know what you're talking about yep so i mean i can fit all my shampoos i can fit all my stuff my medication mm-hmm. you know it's like my hair dryer everything in the one box instead of being all over the place well not only just that but that case now i know what we're talking about it's a hard case yeah it's a hard case so that with a lock yeah with a lock so you can put you can put jewelry whatever you need in there i mean i would not do that and put it on an airplane no probably not however never it, ever ever folks just don't pack your jewelry you take it with you you take it with you, you sh- or you ship it to yourself yeah just 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 plan on having it with you. Do not ever put anything in your suitcase that you are not willing to lose. Right. Because suitcases get lost all the time. And then there's a lot of folks that go through them. So. Yep. And there's a lot of folks that go through them. And uh, if you wrap your suitcase, that will not stop them. No. Yeah. If you wrap them in saran wrap, you know, a lot of the uh, a lot of the airports nowadays, they have those saran wrap wrapping stations. So you can wrap your suitcase. That does you not. Know, those don't stop people you know, I, from I, you know, I've it. actually gotten to where I don't even lock it because I know somebody's going through it. And I'm like, there really is nothing in that suitcase that I'm not okay with losing. Right. No, that's exactly right. You know, anything of value or anything of that accord, it, it's in my carry-on or on my person. Yeah. I mean, you know, the only thing in my suitcase is my clothes and whatever liquids like shampoo, conditioner, you know, liquids – that I cannot physically bring on the plane. Yeah. And of no. course, I don't travel with like every piece of jewelry I own or whatever. Well, but, no. I mean, in, 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 unless you're camera. going to a specific event. Like if you're going to, well, you yeah. know, if you're going to like a, a gala opening or, you know, I, I yeah, don't know, something. Because that happens all the time. I, you know, but, it does happen a lot. Well, it does actually. But, but, uh, but your camera and, mm-hmm. you know, equipment, stuff like that, you better carry it. That's Absolutely. why make, that's why they make those little rolly bags to yeah. put on the plane. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's my PSA for today. It's funny to it's funny to think about this this little tidbit too. But as a man, I can only have two bags with me. I can have basically a backpack and a like a little carry on bag. Right. But a woman can have three bags with them. They have a purse, backpack, carry on bag. I thought you either had a purse or a backpack. Nope. 
No, you can have both. Well, that's usually because we got kids <laughs> and we got more crap that we carry. Yeah, well. That's I, true. I guess that's true. Yeah, men just kind of wander around free like little chickens with their heads cut off. Like, I, I oh, don't think that's go. true. I don't think that's true. And the moms true. are back there going, you know, trying to, they're the ones with the extra Cheerios and you know, Ziploc bags for days. <laughs> colors. Uh-huh. Whatever it is that they can entertain that kiddo with. Oh, yeah. Mad Libs books. Mad Libs books are, those are essential on any travel. I am like the queen of children's. The entertainment system. My kids to this day, grown adults, will still go on my purse looking for food. I don't anymore. Anymore. Well, you've already been in my purse once today, so who that knows was, if I have that, any food. You asked me to go in there, okay? Yeah. You asked me to grab my something. My power That's bars will be gone. No, nah, I didn't touch your power bars. I didn't even notice they were in there. Oh, that's because I just fed you. You weren't looking. <laughs> okay. Hey, chicken noodle soup, folks. Mm-hmm cold outside it's very very cold outside i am ready for it to be warm of course i was ready for it to be warm as soon as it dropped about 10 degrees <laughs> i don't mind it i really don't you know it, I, I i complain about it but it's really not that bad no i mean no. you know who doesn't love a snow day every once in a while yeah well unfortunately i don't get a snow day <laughs> what's funny it, it, you know Catherine. uh you know, she's a teacher, so she gets real snow days <laughs> that are, they're actually off, which I find funny because they're virtual. <laughs> it's kind of like, why? But I guess it's because the whole county closes and, uh, and a lot of the elementaries are in person now. That's funny. But, but it, it was funny too when we had a really bad snow day here. And uh, uh, this is a rabbit trail, I know, but big rabbit trail. Well, we had a really bad snow day here, um, last week and, it was coming on a Monday, so it would have been nice to have a four day weekend. And my manager messaged all of us, all of us the night before and he goes, Hey, uh, so we know it's going to be really bad. Uh, you know, the, the roads are going to be really bad tomorrow. So if you want to, you can take your own paid time off or you can come in. <laughs> oh, okay. So I can burn the, my leave time or I can come in. That's just like any other day. And your, your poor little brother is up in literally in the North Pole. Yeah. Every morning I send him the weather report and I go, hi, sweet pea. <laughs> Good morning, sweetheart. It is going to be negative 44 degrees today. Please make sure that every part of your body is covered <laughs> because frostbite can happen in less than 10 minutes. Yep. He's like, I know, mom. I'm like, just making sure. <laughs> Please cover yourself. Yeah. Well, you know what? Those trunks are actually pretty good at keeping things stored safely. They do. Yeah. And there were a lot of different types of trunk trunks. So there was a flat top trunk, which is pretty self-explanatory. These trunks had mostly flat tops and, <laughs> and were primarily used for travel. And they were easy to stack and store on trains, ships, and carriages. They were made out of a mix of materials, wood, leather, canvas, metal, detailing, and sometimes covered in waterproof fabric. So they were also dome topped, similar to flat tops in the name, in the name, in that the name implies the shape. These trunks had noticeably dome tops and were therefore less used for travel purposes. So that a lot of these were, um, case, or what was it? They were like fixed in the home. Right. So more of a centerpiece kind of. Kind of almost a piece of furniture, really. Right. So more like a functional, chest. Very a lot, functional. A lot, a lot of the chests were dome topped. Well, and the, you know, the flat top chest, 
and, and yeah, and the dome topped. Mm-hmm. So they're also referred to as a round top camel barrel and humpback trunks, and they're frequently made of embossed tin. Actually, yeah, they're pretty cool. They're neat. They're also slatted trunks. So these are beautiful trunks as they were composed of thin wooden slates in one place next to the other. And they were made for very sturdy construction and were an example of elegant craftsmanship. Yeah. And we are going to talk about other types as soon as we come back from our break. Okay. Hi, my name is Kaylin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Tea Time Thoughts. Do you ever wish you could learn more about history, books, music, art, and culture, but you just don't know where to start? I totally feel your pain. Learning about all these things can be so overwhelming. Well, I want to change all of that for you. In my podcast, Tea Time Thoughts, I'll show you just how fun it all can be. In the time it takes to have a cup of tea, I'm going to teach you everything from the French Revolution to the Black Plague, Mozart to Broadway musicals, Da Vinci to Robert Frost, Ancient Egypt to Queen Elizabeth II, and more. You can stream Tea Time Thoughts wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So what are you waiting for? Put the kettle on and listen to Tea Time Thoughts today. Welcome back. Welcome back to Hip and Humble. I'm still Aram. And I'm still Mom. And we are still talking about trunks. Yes, we are. Trunks doesn't sound like an interesting name, but it's actually a pretty cool history. And there's a lot of really interesting things about trunks. Well, a lot of interesting things about trunks, and there are tons of people that get them to repurpose them. Oh, and and we will definitely talk about that. But first, I want to thank again our sponsors, Hip and Humble Antiques, LLC. Again, if you're not following us on Instagram, why? Why at this point I post every day. I respond to all of you guys. It's great. I love it. So please follow us on hipn.humble. That's H-I-P-N dot humble on Instagram. Uh, if you comment on any of our posts, tell us stuff that you want to hear on the podcast or antiques that you'd like to look, like us to look for, for the store. We will, I will always respond and like your comments and also, if you like what we're doing on the podcast, please consider leaving us a tip on Patreon.com. Patreon.com slash hip and humble. Anything you guys put into us, we put right back into the show, and we really appreciate anything that you guys give us. It makes me makes us feel great. Sure. Absolutely. We love entertaining you. Yes, we do. Hopefully, we're doing a little education, too. But Hopefully so. Sometimes Aram and I can be entertaining. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I, I know, she, I know, I know she is, so. <laughs> <laughs> and we are also supported by the WGSN DB Going Solo Network. This network is a national online radio network and it is a great source of information. Please check out all of their content creators and really artists uh, that put out content on this network. We are grateful to be here. All right. So we were talking before we went, before we left, we were talking about the different types of trunks that there are. We left off, we left off on slatted trunks. And the next type that we wanted to talk about was the Jenny Lind. So the Jenny Lind, this trunk became popular in the 1850s and 60s when the fam- famous Swedish singer Jenny Lind toured the, into the U.S. for two years, taking with her everywhere a very particular type of trunk. Looking at it from the side, it resembles an eight. Or a loaf of bread, because it curves inward toward the middle where it latches. So, pretty interesting type, and obviously a very niche one. These ones are They're like an hourglass. Yeah, it's kind of like an hourglass or an eight. A lot of the treasure chests that you see in um, period movies, where yeah. you see that a lot of those are the Jenny Lind type of uh, trunks. They have they have different waves in them, I guess, because it gives them different lines and they're interesting to shoot. And a lot there's a lot of smaller ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, I, but I mean, practically, I wonder if you did it that way. You know, what was the reason? I, I I think she liked it because just because it was different. Yeah. Well, but. But practically, I agree. I don't really see a huge practical benefit. I mean, to me, it would just be harder to produce. Yeah, yeah. Well, also, I, I do feel fit like as much stuff in it. I feel like you might be able to fit more because you know each and you, especially if you, if there was a slot in between the two halves of the eight, you know, you could have basically more stuff fill into the bottom. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I don't know though. So the next type, which is one of the most popular types in antique stores and the like, is the steamer trunk. Steamer trunks, they're mostly flat tops, and these trunks were made and designed for traveling purposes and being placed in super snug spaces. To use, you stand the trunk up on its end and open it to reveal separated compartments on each side. So these ones were like the ones that we were talking about that were being repurposed. A lot of the repurposed trunks are steamer trunks because they basically, they're basically a wardrobe. You stand it up on its side instead of on its bottom and you open up the two halves to basically have, you know, different shelves on either side. Well, I said the one that I have upstairs right now, you open it up and on one side are drawers. Mm-hmm. So you have drawers on one side. The other side are hangers. Right. And has a little rod that comes out with, and it still has its original hangers in there. Yeah. A rod that comes out and, you know, you can move your clothes back and forth on the little rod. It yeah. Even has a pants hanger. Yeah. So they're, they're pretty neat. I mean, they're, they're really very efficient. Very efficient. Absolutely. A lot more efficient than the suitcases we have today. Yeah. Although there are, there have definitely been some innovations in uh, suitcases. I found a lot of really neat suitcases, modern suitcases that I, I'd like to, but unfortunately a lot of those, you know, my price range, anytime I like something, of course it's, it's upwards of five, six hundred dollars. Well, sure. You know, and I just, I can't see spending that kind of money on something. Somebody's going to throw at the bottom of an airplane. Well, you know, if I pay that much for something, I'm expecting it to be durable, one. And also, if, well, yeah. I, if I was traveling a considerable amount, I would consider investing in something like that. Yeah. But but that's the thing. It was, if I'm traveling you know, two or three times a year, I'm not going to spend that much right. money right. on a suitcase. Right. Of course, if you did, that'd be the last suitcase you bought. For a while, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. if you only go two or three times a year. That is true. Probably last year, you know. Next 10 years. Yeah. 15 years. That's true. That's true. If I was only traveling two or three times a year and bought a $500 suitcase, I would hope it would last me at least 10 years. Well, I would think. I mean, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've had other suitcases that literally, when I got to the airport and was putting it on the thing, and they both, the zippers bust open. <sighs> so terrible. I had literally, the one, one guy came in with duct tape. Yeah. <laughs> Duct tape it closed oh to goodness. get home, and I'm like, "Thank you." I feel like <laughs> hillbilly Jane with a plastic bag or something. <laughs> just not as bad as taking a taking a black trash bag to the airport. It just about is. Yeah, just about. The, I was like, "Good lord!" Yeah, bought, yeah. A new, bought a new suitcase when I got to my destination. Bet you that was the time you, you wish you had a trunk. It really was. Mm-hmm. And those steamer <laughs> trunks actually were some of, like, like we were saying earlier, they're some of the most popular nowadays and they're, they're, and many trunks in the antique market are referred to as steamer trunks. So not all, not, not everything is a steamer trunk, but most things are referred to as a steamer trunk. Steamer trunks got their name, of course, because they originally, they originally were used to tra- as transport trunks for sea voyages in a time when travel by steamship was the most common. 
Steamer trunks were only popular for a very short time, from about 1870 to 1925. Thus, the reason that there's a lot, a lot of trunks that are referred to as steamer trunks, but are not necessarily actually, actually steamer trunks, steamer trunks yeah. because there weren't actually a ton of steamer trunks made. Right. So collectors have had a rather difficult time identifying steamer trunk manufacturers because many manufacturers of steamer trunks either didn't mark their trunks at all or they marked them with a very simple paper label that didn't last. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the more notable manufacturers of higher quality trunks made and installed proprietary hardware. One such manufacturer was Martin Mayer. He ran a trunk business in Detroit. And his hardware was very identifiable. It's a, it's a very, his, his hardware, like his trunk material, it's very unique. And it's, for the time, it was incredibly innovative. And that's yeah. why basically a lot of times you'll find, you'll find, he made trunks, of course, but you'll find a lot of the, basically compartments and, and different pieces inside of other trunks. Oh, that's mm-hmm. pretty neat. Yeah. The next type of trunk is called a wall trunk. These trunks, while very similar looking to other types, were distinctive in their hinge mechanisms and the manner in which they opened and closed. They were designated for small spaces because unlike the standard trunk, you could push these flush up against the wall and open the top without without having to leave several inches of space to open the top lid. So basically, these ones had different ways to open it. You could open it like a traditional trunk and you could also open one end of it or either end of it, which was pretty interesting. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. Trunks. I, might- I think it's nice so you could put it flush against the wall. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that's absolutely nice because especially if you're going into like a really tiny hotel room or it, you know, back then they would go on, I always imagine like the jungle book whenever they oh. were, whenever they were going to like the, the jungle or Af- in Africa and they had the, the trunks to bring with them yeah. in these little tiny t- canvas tents. It, it was really nice to have something that didn't take up a lot of space right. to, to house all of your equipment. Yeah. So trunks most commonly found in antique stores, like I was saying, are actually vintage. For a trunk to be considered antique, it must be at least a hundred years old and not have been restored. Mm-hmm. And well, we certainly can't keep talking about trunks without talking about Louis Vuitton. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that is true. To do this, I'm going to take the story from Louis Vuitton's website itself, as it gives a clever overview of the humble events that made Louis Vuitton the cultural icon and he and his company have grown into today. At first, it's important to note that the very first Louis Vuitton trunk was introduced into the world in 1858. Mm-hmm. So Louis Vuitton, when he was only 16 years old, made a decision that would not only change his life, but the lives of his sons and future generations. He would become a trunk master. <laughs> <laughs> Louis Vuitton's heritage as a trunk maker preceded even the founding of his company. It was in 1837 that a 16-year-old Louis Vuitton arrived in Paris by foot and started apprenticing for Monsieur Marshal. At the time, horse-drawn carriages, boats, and trains were the main modes of transportation. So that was, like we were talking about early in the episode, one of the reasons that trunks became so popular in this time was because those modes of travel had just become popular. Right. Mm-hmm. And baggage was handled roughly. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> well, obviously. that hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah, that hasn't changed. But back then, I feel like it, it would be even more so because if you're talking about a ship, the, a lot of yeah. the, a lot of the, the storage areas in ships were bilges. So they're basically, they were basically large, um, 
um, spaces that had an interest over the top of them. And then to fish stuff out, they would get a hook and just put the <laughs> hook down and pull it up. And so when they were loading it up, they were literally just throwing it down a hole. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So travelers called upon craftsmen to pack and protect their individual objects. Louis Vuitton quickly became a valued craftsman at the Parisian um, Atier of Monsieur Monsieur Maréchal. I'm, I'm not French. Sorry about that, folks. Not We're French. not French. Not French. Um, we barely speak English. Monsieur. 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 <laughs> Monsieur. Maréchal. These were the roots of his highly specialized trade, the beginnings of his career in artisanal industry that called upon skills to custom design boxes and later trunks according to clients' wishes. Louis Vuitton stayed for 17 years before opening his own workshop at 4 Rue Nueve de Capuchines near the Place Vendôme. Both a family residence and the cradle look of the company, the Asanere site has been the symbol of the Vuitton family's personal and commercial success since 1859, just a year after his first trunk was introduced. Yep. The early success of Louis Vuitton meant he had to expand his operations. This led to the, to the 1859 opening of his atelier in Asineres, the northeast, to, uh, just northeast to the center of Paris. The workshop started with 20 employees in 1900. There were nearly 100 people, and by 1914, or sorry, in, in 1900, there were nearly 100 people, and by 1914, there were 225. The original atelier has been expanded throughout throughout the decades, including the addition of the Vuitton family residence, but is still where product, products are crafted today. While the family home has been preserved and is part of a private museum, 170 craftsmen work in the Asinaires workshop design, designing and creating leather goods and special orders for clients around the world. And also, after that, in 1886, George 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 Vuitton revolutionized luggage locks with an ingenious closing system that tr- turned travel trunks into real treasure chests. So that's kind of what we were talking about earlier and saying that Louis Vuitton innovated the way that locks were made, especially travel locks were made. And, of course, they advertised it as the unpickable lock. Right, which... Mm-hmm. Nothing's unpickable now. No, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't unpickable then, but it was the no. best. It was the best lock lock on the market. Right. Well, Louis Vuitton, though. I mean, one thing I think when people think of Louis Vuitton is number one, oh, Lord, how expensive is that? Um, oh yeah. But you know, kind of whenever but you, you pay for quality, you do. So part part of yeah, what you're paying for is the quality and the attention to detail. So I mean, there's like I don't personally have any Louis Vuitton anything, but. You know, one way that you spot like a fake purse, mm-hmm. a Louis Vuitton purse, is you look at the seams of it. Yeah. And the Louis, uh, actual authentic Louis Vuitton, they'll match up the pattern on, on the material will match up perfectly. With the seams, yeah. Well, you know, over the seams. So oh, yeah. it doesn't look like, you know, it's like you'll see some bags and it might have, you know, the, It'll, they'll meet up where it's like halfway in between of the logo or, you know, that mm-hmm. everything on it matches up perfectly. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of that attention to detail mm-hmm. um, that really has set him, th- that particular brand and his company apart from others because he is, demands such a meticulous, craftsmanship product. Absolutely. And, you know, that, that, that is a testament to the rigidity of, that 
market, you know, the, especially the the well, travel the traveling market. There are so many different ways to move things from one place to another, and and the containers that transport items. There's so there's such a I guess it a disparity between something that is very cheaply made and something that is very right. expertly made. I mean, just you can also. If you have any type of product like that, uh, the bags or clothing or something like that, you always look at the seams mm-hmm. and a higher quality piece of um, uh, garment yeah. will have seams that match up perfectly if it is a printed fabric or even if it's not printed, they will it will match up perfectly and they will be lined. Right. They might have a seam tape on the inside. I mean, there's like extra work that goes into that to make a really quality product. Oh, absolutely. Like and I think, you know, Louis Vuitton is a wonderful example of that. I mean, there's, it, you know, you could go into the fashion industry and there's a million examples. Well, of course. But right but, now we're, but talking we're, yeah, about, we're talking about specifically bags and trans, trans- transport items. Yeah. You know, and uh, the reason that Louis Vuitton sticks out is because the way that he ornamented his his trunks was so, so different. It was in a way daring at the time, you know, the different leathers and the different uh, embellishments that were put on the Louis Vuitton trunks distinguished them as the, you know, as the go-to trunk right. of the time. Right. You know, that was, that, that was, was, that was the trunk of the high class. Yep. Yep. That was mm-hmm. it. And now of course it's iconic. Of course, you know, that, <laughs> The 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 Vuitton family, obviously, their you know their family home is a museum. So, so the the what they what their family has created, or the company that has come out of that, you know, Louis Vuitton's artisan work has become a standard for craftsmanship in the transportation. Uh, you know the. The craft or the transportation industry. I think he's a really good example of and a trans- person. transportation energy. Maybe the wrong term. Sorry. Yeah, I think he's a great example of a very creative individual mm-hmm. that saw a need in the community, right? And not only met that need, but met it to the best of his ability, right? You know, just perfection. Mm-hmm. And well, with meticulous dedication. Very you much know, so. And you don't, you don't, today's world, you don't really see a lot of that. Well, you do and you don't. And I, I think well, it's. Well, you do, but it's so. Um, it's, I mean, it's a different, it's a different kind of dedication. A lot of, because a lot of the, a lot of the innovations nowadays that are coming out of our culture are digital. They're technological. But as far as transportation and actually creating a product, you can physically a physical hold. product, yeah. You know, so much of it is mass produced mm-hmm. and is cheap. Well, absolutely, because because we live in such a digital world, and and a lot of manufacturing is moving over to automation. Sure. The majority, yeah, there are you know there are a couple different company owners, large company owners nowadays that are seeking a future for humanity where basically. We won't have to actually physically produce anything if we don't want to. Like the, and, and I think with that vision in mind, you know, it will, it, it would allow for people to be more creative and, you know, have more time to be creative and, and come up with these, I guess, newer ways of thinking. However, it does take away from the, 
I guess the the physical manipulation of things, and I think that creative that creative process th- that creative process, and I think that has such a value. It you does. Know, not it has only, a lot of value, yeah, and- not only personally but culturally. I think whenever oh, yeah. you whenever you see people physically mm-hmm. manipulating things to, I guess, form them into something useful, whether whether you know, no matter what the purpose is, I, I think that 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 definitely has value. Oh, it definitely does. I mean, mm-hmm. you can have a manufacturer make a vase, mm-hmm. and he can make five million of them the exact same vase. Mm-hmm. But then you have one artist that makes a vase. Mm-hmm. Or they make or they make one they vase. They make a very beautiful vase. Mm-hmm. To me, that is. I would rather have that vase than any of the five million that the manufacturer made. Right. Yeah, no, not, I, I agree. It it takes a lot of that unique uniqueness out of a product. Yes, it, it can. I I think that whenever you you're whenever you're comparing something that is automatically manufactured versus something that is individually produced, there, there's not really a comparison. You're looking at you're looking at something that was created, um, you know, idealistically for a purpose versus something that was created individually for the same purpose. For yeah, for the same purpose. Well, and that's kind of what Louis Vuitton. Louis Vuitton created individually created something to fill a purpose. And now we've got automated machines, I'm sure, that make tons of suitcases and Yeah. And things like that. Mm-hmm. But would I rather have a Louis Vuitton trunk or a modern day suitcase? I'm gonna take the trunk. Absolutely. And on that, those trunks can run the ones that are in good shape can still run up to $20,000. Oh, oh yeah. No, the, if you're looking, if you're thinking about buying a Louis Vuitton trunk after this, make sure you save up uh, a couple tens of thousands of dollars. Yep. Yep. But, uh, and on that note, we are out of time. Out of time. We didn't even really get to talk a whole lot about how they're repurposed. I know. We really didn't. But guys, if you are, on, on just an end note, please check out, if you look up repurposing of trunks, because there are some fantastic repurposed trunks that people have used, because you can find a lot of these in vintage or antique, vintage trunks for pretty, pretty cheap at different, uh, antique, antique shops, flea markets, and so on. And they are, they make wonderful, wonderful pieces to repurpose. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. You're only limited by your imagination. Really. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, folks, thanks for sticking around with this. I'm going to get out of here here soon. So uh, stay hip. And humble. All right. Bye now. Bye.